first chapter of Romans, we got down through about verse 15. And we said last time, and I'm not going to go through the entire list again of kind of the sections of the book, but we just finished the introduction, um, the salutation of Paul, and he finishes with, I'm ready now to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. And he's going to begin here um, going through the sin and how sin is permeated through all of mankind. And I believe it's been well spoken of before how that um, for man to be saved, that recognition of their sin has got to be the very first thing that comes to pass. God convincing a man that he's a sinner. Outside of me being a sinner, I have no need of being saved. I believe you could see the example of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day, how that they, uh, they did not see themselves as sinners, therefore they did not need a Savior. So uh, the gospel is going to be the means to reveal that. And in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. So we'll stop there. It all goes together. There's really not a good place to stop. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And you know, the, the devil and our world especially would like for you to be ashamed of the good news. That's what gospel means. The good news of Jesus Christ. In, in Mark chapter 1, uh, you know, this, this gospel... Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The good news had a beginning. And the beginning was this gift of God given, Jesus Christ our Lord. And without Jesus, there's no good news to be shared. But ain't it amazing that here is, here is good news. That man who is a sinner that is wicked, that's separated from God, that has no opportunity, no ability to measure up to the righteousness of God, that God's gave a gift, His Son Jesus, to die that man could be reconciled to Him. What wonderful news that is. Is there anything bad about the news of Jesus Christ? There's nothing bad in the gospel of Jesus. And yet, now think how it is today. It was no different in Paul's day than it is today. The world would like for you to be ashamed of that good news. And not to speak of it. I think there's what it is. To be ashamed, to, be, uh, to feel shame for. That's the Strong's definition for that word. That he had liked for you to feel shame about the good news of Jesus that you would not share that with anybody. And you know, it don't matter who it is really. You can talk about a lot of things, but you won't find anything more difficult 
for you to bring up than the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you and the work that Jesus did for all of man. You know why that is? That's our world. That's the devil. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And now Paul suffered greatly for the cause of the gospel. And I believe we've got plenty of evidence as to Paul not being ashamed of the gospel. But in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 13, let's back up to 11. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. Now how did Paul get in this situation? I say before he was saved, if he wasn't on the Sanhedrin, he was very close. He was one of the exalted members of society and of the Jewish religion in Israel. But the salvation of Jesus Christ, his resulting life change, and his work in preaching the gospel caused him to go from that elevated place under the very offscouring of the world. He was willing to be cast down, to be poor, to be naked, to be hungry, to be buffeted, and to be persecuted for the cause of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because, as Paul seen, there would be a multitude that would not believe and would persecute and would absolutely despise Him. But there would be some that would hear the gospel, believe, and be saved. And so, he was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God, that word power, it's that word dunamis again, that stick of dynamite. Miraculous power. And we said before, you think about this little stick of dynamite, that big, but the miraculous power that is in that little stick. And so God's miraculous power unto salvation is the gospel. Now, just a little example. I've used this before. But you think about if, if Darren lives in Marshall. He needed a ride to get home. And I said, I'll take you home. I've got my car around by. He said, well, that'd be great, but I'm not riding in your car. Well, then he's not going home with me. My car is the means I have to get him home. And if you don't want to go in my car, then I'm not going, I can't take you. Well here, the gospel is the means that God gave for man to hear of Christ come and be redeemed. And now you think about how foolish it is to hear man say, I'm not coming to the gospel. I don't like the gospel. I'm not going to hear the gospel. I'm not going to sit under preaching. I don't like preachers. I don't like the church. I'm not going that way. Well, this is the means that God... And when I tell you the story of the car, that's astoundingly ignorant, isn't it? Here's a means. He wants to go home. Here's a means for him to get there. Well, I, I'm not going to go that way. 
What, what do you think about somebody that God's provided the gospel for man to come to righteousness and man's going to say, well, I'm not going to go that way. Well, there's no other way to get there. No other means to come to salvation outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's not ashamed because it is the power of God. And these are all familiar scripture, but we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So, wouldn't you say that this is the case? I don't think it takes a whole lot of thinking to realize it. But by wisdom, man doesn't come to a knowledge of God but rather goes the opposite way. Wouldn't you say that's true? The more wisdom of this world that man gets, the farther that would lead him away from really knowing God. I mean, you think about all of our academics, all that's taught, all that is uh, promoted in academics and in the, the world of learning today. And it's all in opposition and opposite to what the Word of God would say. So man's not going to learn of God by learning or by wisdom. But in the wisdom of God now, God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. So who chose this way? The apostles did not choose and say, well, let's just preach and that'll be good enough. This was God's plan. It was God's plan from the very beginning. And we can read that the Scriptures preached unto Abraham when Abraham was alive. It's what the Bible says in Galatians. And so God chose preaching to be the means that mankind would come to salvation. Well, I'm not coming by preaching. Well, there's no other way to come to God. There's no other way to come to salvation. God chose preaching to be the means that man would come to know Christ. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So the Jews, the religious, they were looking for some great sign from heaven. We can see that they ask that of Jesus as Jesus is raising the dead, causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, lepers to be cleansed, uh, uh, entire towns and cities to be healed. As Jesus is doing all of this, they ask for a sign from heaven. They want something great. They want God to hit them with a bolt of lightning. They want some great sign from God. There's those like that today. That God speaks through the gospel and they say, God, if that's you, do this. You know what that's looking for? A sign. And the Greeks, they were seeking after wisdom. They wanted to learn and know something new. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. So Christ crucified, the message there was just what we heard this morning. That man being a sinner was unrighteous in God's eyes and Jesus Christ was crucified 
as payment for our sins, resurrected for our justification, and through Him we can be saved. Well now to the religious crowd, to the self-righteous crowd, to the crowd that's good enough like they are, that causes them to stumble and fall because it reveals that they're sinners. Now to the Greeks and to the academics, it's foolish to think, and I'm sure you've seen all manner or heard all manner of this, that man would say it's absolutely stupid to think God came to work this world as a man. It's stupid to think that there's a God. It's ignorant to think that a man could rise from the dead. <clears throat> you see what this is? It's all opposition. It's opposition to the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now what's the source of all of it? It's all from the devil, the dragon, the serpent, the accuser of the brethren, and the deceiver of the whole world. And his will and desire, I believe by the scriptures, you could see, is to hold man in darkness away from the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So of course, and you know this foolishness, you hear this a lot, that preaching's foolishness because the man's sweaty and hollering. That's not what he's saying. The foolishness of the gospel of Christ is the message of Jesus Christ crucified for the salvation of men. That's what's viewed at as foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So this gospel, to a lost, blinded world that's under the control of Satan, it's foolish or it's a stumbling block. It's either that that just don't make sense and it's too hard for me to believe, or it's that that condemns me and makes me to trip up and fall. But unto them that are saved, this gospel is the most precious message that they've ever received. I, I, we've got examples of it in Romans a little later. He quotes it. But now you put yourself in the original back in the Old Testament and they were in captivity down in Babylon. The Jews were. They were in captivity under the hand of an enemy king. And news comes by a runner. And he's running and telling them the kingdom has failed. And you're now free to return back home. And they say, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel, that bring good tidings. What a wonderful message for a captive prisoner to hear. Well, that's what this gospel is. To them that are redeemed, how beautiful is the message of Jesus Christ that plucked me and plucked you as a brand from the burning and brought us to salvation. Why is Paul not ashamed? The gospel was the power of God that brought him out of religion and into the kingdom of the Son of God. Jeremiah says my words like a hammer. So though the gospel, though Paul suffered for the cause of the gospel, and though Paul was made as the off-scouring of the world, and though the world would like for him to have been ashamed of the gospel and hushed up, 
Yet Paul labored onward and preached because Paul knew that if his loved ones were going to be saved, they were coming through preaching. That if the Gentiles were going to be saved, they were going to come through preaching. And if there was no preaching, there's no salvation. No means for man to come to God outside of the preaching of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now that's in there. That's a part of it. Now you know that man, in order to be saved, must believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a necessity. The, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to them that would believe the gospel, to everyone that believeth. Now our world, and very wrongly, and we won't tarry here long, but very wrongly they take verses like this and say, do you believe in Jesus? Yep, you're saved. Let's go get baptized. And it's that easy. Well, all you got to do is believe. There's a whole lot more to it than that. And we'll see it as we dig through the book of Romans that it's not just a simple, well, yeah, I believe. It's far deeper than that. But belief must be present. In Mark chapter 16, last chapter of the book of Mark, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So the gospel's going out. And you know, no matter what crowd you're among, if Paul was in Jerusalem at the temple or in one of the synagogues, or if Paul was in Corinth and he's preaching down at the city center, or he's in uh, Greece and he's down there preaching at Mars Hill, wherever Paul's at preaching, the gospel of Jesus is the same. The message of Jesus is the same unto every man and every woman. I mean, the gospel, when the gospel goes out here in just a little while, everybody in the house is going to hear the same words. Isn't that not true? So the gospel is the same to every crowd of people, every race, every language, Every nationality, the good news of Jesus, that's all that there is to preach. But the difference is whether man believes the message or does not believe the message. So the free will crowd then that says you can believe anytime you want to and you just make your decision for Christ so if that's the case then, and at any time you can choose or decide to come to Christ, you can choose to believe and be saved. You see that? Now think. That gives me a place that I would be able to boast in myself, and in my, not in God, but in myself, above my fellow men that did not believe the gospel. Because I was saved, because there was something better about me than Anthony, 
And I believed and he rejected. Well, that, that can't be the case. There can be no place for me to boast in myself. None. There is no place for that to occur. So in Acts chapter 16... Acts chapter 16, verse 17, The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. They were preaching the gospel. And what was that doing? The gospel was revealing. It was revealing unto them by this testimony the way and the means for man to be saved. It was the revelation. John refers to it often through his writings as the light. Jesus was the light. John was a light. The church is a light. The gospel, You know what the light's doing? It's revealing. So the gospel is making me, causing me, to be able to see the way and the means of salvation that God's provided for us. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the Jew, they had the first opportunity to hear and believe the gospel. Now the gospel's the same to the Jew and the Gentile. The Gentiles got the same opportunity to be saved that the Jew has through the preaching of the word. But they heard it first before the Gentiles did. God gave them that opportunity to hear and believe before that He gave that to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 13, Acts 13 verse number 46, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should have first been spoken to you but seeing you put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas came preaching here. You know where they always went first? To the synagogue. And there they preached to the Jews, to the religious, to those that were members of that church and the chosen race of God through which Christ would come. They preach to them first. It does not mean that they could be saved and the Gentiles could not. But they got to come to the table and hear the gospel first. But, Paul says, we're turning to the Gentiles now and next time we preach, we're going to bring in a crowd of Gentiles and give them the same exact opportunity that you had to hear the preaching of the gospel and for them to believe and be saved. Now that was a hard pill to swallow for the Jews because they had been, and you know you think we've got it in John chapter 4, that Samaritan woman, the half-breeds. You that are Jews, you don't have nothing to do with us Samaritans. They, they were high on who they were. And they considered themselves the only people that could come to God. And now here's a gospel that's being preached to them, but also to these Gentiles that's got no place in the kingdom of God in their eyes. But God, 
giving them the opportunity first. But now I want you to notice this as well. And all of this we'll look at closer later on in the book. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So in this kingdom of God, there is no division based on who you are. Though this man is a descendant of Abraham, and this man's a wicked Gentile, descendants of Lot's sons, though that might be the case, yet in Christ they're both equal members of the family of God. Both are sons. Such that it does not matter who you were previous to receiving the gospel, but if we believe we're made equal with all others that believe the word of God and are saved. So now, Jesus, God, was not offering the Jews something special, something more than they were allowed opportunity first. And the Gentiles received opportunity afterwards into the same salvation and the same family. Now there's a lot made of that in our religious world today that's just not there. And I believe we'll see that more as we get on into the book. For therein, for therein, this is verse 17, Romans 1, now verse 17. So he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for therein, So in what? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So in verse 17, revealed, to take off the cover or to expose. So the righteousness of God. Now do you think the righteousness of God needs to be uncovered today? And I believe you could say it just like this. What God considers to be righteous. Do you think there's a great knowledge of what God considers to be righteous in our land and in our country? You know what kind of answer you're going to get? Depends on who you're asking. Because every man is right and righteous in his own eyes. So if you ask me, I'm going to describe what God accepts according to who I am, what I do, and what I don't do. And you ask another man, and he's going to tell you what God accepts according to what he does and doesn't do. Such that the righteousness of God is unknown and hidden to mankind. Do you know what God considers righteous? Perfect by the law. Not one blemish and not one spot. Perfection. That is the righteousness of God. You want to be declared right with God. You want to be holy in God's eyes and you want to be accepted by Him. Well, your life 
from the time of your birth until right now had better be spotless without one blemish on it. Now you say that and people, people, they harden at that. That can't be true. That's impossible. That's the point of the gospel. To show us how impossible that it is for man to meet the standard of God. But it goes farther than that. So if you are perfect from the day of your birth to now without any sin in your life, you're going to have to maintain that from now till you die as well. And if you cannot do that, and I think rather say, if you haven't, then you're not acceptable to God. That is a very hard pill to swallow for man. Man just can't believe that. Why God's going to accept me. I'm as good as anybody else in the world. That's not true. That's a lie that the devil has planted in men and women's minds through our world. And you know what's needed? We need the gospel to uncover what God truly accepts and what He does not accept. So God, through the gospel, is revealing God's righteousness unto man that we might know how holy and right that God truly is. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For the work by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You know why the Jew didn't need a Savior? Because they had a temple and they had sacrifices and they had ceremonies, and they had religious ordinances, and they lived clean lives. And to them, all of those things were good enough to be acceptable to God. Were they acceptable to God? God says in the book of Hebrews that by those sacrifices, they could never be made perfect. Remember, that's God's righteousness. Perfection. And you know, you think... Maybe that sounds crazy, but now, ladies, you're going to get married. You got a white wedding gown. You pay five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars for it. You go and pick it up, and it's got a spot on it the size of your pinky finger there. A black spot. You're going to accept that. I paid good money for that. This is my big day. You want it perfect, don't you? Well, God's, that's God's righteousness. That picture there is God's righteousness. He can't accept anything other than perfection. And here, the gospel's revealing that there's nothing you can do. The works of the law, this is what the Bible says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Well, I've not lied. I've not murdered. I've not hated. I mean, the majority of the commandments, I've kept them, and I try to keep them, and I labor at them. Well, the gospel says you can't be accepted by keeping the law. 
You've already broke them. You're not perfect. You're not righteous in God's eyes. And so, one more place. In same book, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 10. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are <clears throat> of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed. Now this is a quote out of Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse number 26. God spoke it to Moses and Moses to the people. And Paul is quoting it in the New Testament to establish this as the very Word of God. Cursed is everyone that continueth, that means onward, continuing in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you do not continually through your life keep not a portion, not half, not 75%, but all of the law, if you do not continue to keep the, all of the books of the law throughout your whole life, you're cursed. God's trying to reveal that. He is revealing that through the gospel. It's not a shortness on God's part. God's revealing it. It's being made known. People aren't believing it. It's too hard to believe. To the Jew, that's a stumbling block. Well, I thought I was good. And to the Greeks, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. You know why that is? The carnal mind and the standard of man. So the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now this is a quote out of Habakkuk chapter 2. You'll see it in verses 2 through 4. Maybe we ought to turn there and read that real quick. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely Come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So this is Old Testament again. This is the way it was in the Old Testament. The soul that's lifted up in himself, the one that's thinking highly of himself, he's not accepted. The just, those that are justified, those that God declares as righteous, those that God accepts and approves of by His Spirit, they are not living by the law, but by faith in the operation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So not only is the true righteousness of God being revealed, but also the judgment of God is being revealed by the gospel. The gospel is revealing 
that all of those that do not measure up to the standard of God's righteousness will face Him in the judgment. Now, this God is love business. God is love. And I don't take away from that in the least bit. God is love in and through His Son Jesus Christ. But if you're found outside of His Son Jesus Christ, God is perfectly righteous, God is holy, God is just, and He is angry with the wicked every day. That's His own word. Outside of Jesus, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness, impiety, lack of reverence towards God, unrighteousness, injustice, or moral wrongfulness. Notice this. Ungodliness is towards God. Impiety and disrespect towards God. And unrighteousness is moral wrong towards man. Sin to God and sin towards man. God's angry with all sin. God's angry when I curse His name. God's angry when I curse the name of man. Well, they deserve it. That's what man says. But God, the wrath of God is revealed who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you know this as well. The wrath of God towards sin, it's revealed at the cross as well. God's anger with sin is revealed. Donna talked about what the Lord Jesus bore in His flesh. The beatings, the whips, on his back, his bones showing through his skin, and they could count them. The crown of thorns, the plucking of the hair, the nailing to the cross, and the dying there naked before the whole world. You know what that was? That was him, Jesus, bearing the wrath of God for mankind. God showed how angry that he was with sin right there on Calvary for all of us to see, and that we all say we know about. There was the wrath of God being bore by Jesus Christ in His body. He was bearing it in our place. But you see how God's revealing the judgment that's to come for them that are outside of Jesus Christ? The damnation and judgment of hell, a furnace of fire. You got a furnace in your house. That is a piece of equipment, if you'll have it, that's designed for there to be fire in to burn, to heat your house. That's what a furnace is. Some burn kerosene, some burn fuel oil, but it's a box that's designed to burn. You know what hell is? Hell is a place that God designed to burn for the torment of all of those that do not believe the gospel of the Son of God and be saved. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. 
All that reject the gospel of the Son of God will be cast into, Jesus says those words, a furnace of fire. A place that God constructed for the torment of men's souls. Well, I don't believe in hell. There's people that says those words that they do not believe in hell. Well, we have the rich man who is in torments who was in a flame, who was thirsty there. We've got Jesus' words of hellfire that it would be better for me to cut my leg and my arm and to pluck my eye out than it would be to go into that place called hell. It would be better for me. Now you think about losing my right eye, my right arm, and my right leg. It'd be better to lose those than to be cast into the wrath and the anger of God in hell. And in Revelation, we see a place where they're cast into a lake of fire where the smoke of their torment arises forever and ever. The gospel is revealing the wrath of God against sin towards God and impiety towards His name and His word. God's going to judge that. God's going to judge the sin towards man as well. So we'll hurry and finish. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now here are people that have received the truth. You see that? But they're holding it in unrighteousness injustice or moral wrongfulness. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So here's a people that received the love of the truth. They heard the gospel. They knew God was angry with sin. They knew what God required. They knew God required perfection for there to be righteousness. They knew God sacrificed His Son to pay for those sins. And they knew that if they didn't get saved, they were going to burn in hell fire forever. They knew these things. But you know what they did? They did not believe them. That ain't true for me. Well, you heard the gospel, didn't you? You're, you're aware this morning. I, I believe that everybody from Rita all the way back around to Greg in the front, I believe that everybody in the house is aware of the plan of God, the righteousness of God, and the anger of God towards sin. But here's a crowd that did not believe. They held the truth in their unrighteousness. And though they were sinners, they said, well, God's going to accept us and I'm good enough the way I am and I don't need that and that's not true and that's too straight and I don't believe it like that. Rejecting the gospel of the Son of God. That's where our, our world as a whole, that's where our world is today. They are in rejection to the good news of Jesus. I say there's very few that could say, well, I don't know. No, we know. We understand. We see it. We've heard it before. We don't believe it. Man does not believe it that it applies to him or to himself. In 1 Timothy 
Now here's the danger of the gospel and rejecting it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, to carterize, render insensitive their rejection of the gospel had built up that carterization of the heart that they were no longer affected. They weren't afraid of the wrath of God any longer. They didn't believe that they were unrighteous. Didn't matter what was preached. Didn't matter what was spoke. Didn't matter if hell was talked about. There was no fear anymore. How did that happen? Man was carterized. His heart was rendered insensitive by the rejection of the truth. Anything on your heart you'd like to add, we'll stop there.